The Viridian Nutrition range of 200 plus award-winning products includes vitamins, minerals, herbs, nutritional oils, specialty supplements, tinctures and balms. All formulated to be helpful, efficacious and pure. By choosing our Viridian Nutrition range, you are one step closer to your goal of 100% wellness. Ethical vitamins with an organic heart. Available at all Browns outlets. Browns and you. There are billions of women passing through similar experiences all around the world and for whatever reason, we often feel like we're alone. It's time to make a point of discussing these topics from a range of viewpoints. These conversations surpass age, race, location. They are relevant to women everywhere. Welcome to The She Word. Conversations that women rarely have, but really should. MAC Cosmetics supports diversity, inclusion, and conscious beauty for all ages, all races, all genders. MAC Cosmetics Malta is proud to support these important conversations. Visit us at Tinye Street, Slima, and let us help you express your true self. Welcome to The She Word, conversations that women rarely have, but really should. And this She Word special episode, we're tackling a topic that affects more women than we could ever want. Statistics differ on this topic depending on country, but also depending on definition. But up to 36% of women experience severe intimate partner, physical violence, intimate partner, contact sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking and harassment. My latest findings that I've been looking at also suggest that women experiencing relationship abuse is on the rise. So this special is looking at women surviving relationship trauma. And if you're affected by this topic today, we'll be providing contact details at the end of this show, as well as telling you about a special relationship we are building with the Richmond Foundation to assist with counseling and therapy for women who need it, but can't afford it. Now, we're also gonna be talking about relationships in a wider context as well, and I'm thrilled to say that I have with me today, Dr. Rose Galia, who is an experienced clinical psychologist with a demonstrated history of working in the mental health care industry, skilled in psychological assessment, clinical research, research, psychotherapy, <laughs> and psychology. We have an expert at the table, but also, we have Roberta Ferrugia de Bono, who's joining us for the third Good time, time. <laughs> Roberta, third time. You are a brilliant guest on this show. You were here with us with women and mental health, also women and relationships, and you're returning in your role as clinical psychologist and family therapist. And also, Mm -hmm. Sue Caruana, who started life as a nurse before taking a completely different path down into the beauty industry. You've joined us today. This is your second rodeo. It is. With the she word. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're here to share your journey. And I really thank you for that as well. So as I said, we're going to be looking in this show beyond just life partner relationships, but also relationships with family members, friends and work colleagues. Before we get into those details, I would just like each of you just to give a little bit more of your story. Roberta, your third innings with us here today. Yes. Fantastic to have you back. Yes, just a little you. bit of background to, to you and what you do. So I'm a clinical psychologist and family therapist and lately I've been working a lot with couples and I think that is now um, my area of expertise. So 
Um, uh, I actually enjoy working with couples, understanding their dynamics, and uh, yes, yeah, sometimes also understanding how um, uh, people within a couple relationship can actually feel hurt. Um, sometimes they can feel uh, um, dismissed. Uh, they can feel that they're not heard enough. Uh, so uh, I'm 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 understanding more about that through my work about cu- with brilliant. couples. Well, I would also suggest to anybody to go back and see the first show of season two, Women and Relationships, yes. which was amazing and just shot up just yes. in the ratings. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew about it. Uh, and it was a fantastic episode. Thank you for being back here. Now, Sue, you were here originally on a very, very different show on Women and Body Modification, which was fantastic. But you also are responsible for our Friday feeling, keeping Keeping it it real, where you really come out and speak your mind and say what needs to be said on a wide range of topics. But one of the things that really brought you to my attention for this show, and we've not spoken about this, Mm -hmm. this is completely going to be a surprise to me uh, to see what your story is. But you mentioned that you had been uh, in therapy for years and you just found yourself at a great place. So when I said to you, hey, listen, why don't you come on this show? You didn't take a breath. You said yes. Mm -hmm. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. But I have no idea what your story is. But just to give a little bit of background about Sue Caruana. <laughs> well, you're, you, you're, you're a lady that makes us all beautiful, but you've had a long, long, long... Well, I started, I started off in, in nursing and um, children's uh, education for young children. So, so that was my first um, thing. But I, I didn't like working with children much, so <laughs> that didn't last very long. It, I found it too stressful to... Too full on. Um, um, and uh, then I uh, started into management, business management, and um, I worked for Pizza Hut and did all. I was one of the, the uh, one of the people on the first team for that and, and went into business development. And then um, um, uh, during that time, my marriage broke down and I just couldn't cope with the job and the pressure. I, I broke down literally. So I had to, to leave that job and to. Uh, start another career and I always loved my nails and painting and polishing and whatever so I went into um, uh, nail as a nail tech and opened up salons and then from that I went into semi-permanent makeup and so that's where I am today. And you're also an extremely funny lady you have a great sense of humor and I would suggest to anybody to follow you because you, you really do brighten my day thank you for that but also thank you for being here as I said I don't know what we're going to be sharing today and you and I have a kind of more of a sharing role because mm-hmm. we have two incredibly experienced and knowledgeable ladies in this field and Dr. Rose Galia. Rose. Rose, Dr. Rose. Rose, just Rose. Rose, Rose it's... <laughs> you're like, no, it's just Rose. Rose, yes. I'm so glad that we've been able to do this. And I'm so glad that you've been able to be part of this. But to give you, you have this incredible kind of title uh, legacy there that I just read out. But just to give a bit of background. Um, That's too much. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a clinical psychologist and a psychotherapist. I'm finishing my doctorate, in fact, right now. I'm, And, uh, but I worked for many years in mental health. And my speciality is trauma. And when we speak about trauma, we might think of trauma as having an accident, trauma as a one-time thing. But many times when we're working in this field of trauma, we find that often enough, 
trauma, the victim of trauma is a person who has been in abusive relationships, difficult relationships, who become traumatized for long periods of time with effects later on in life. And we see adults who've been through traumas in childhood still having the effects on them as adults. So basically, when we're speaking about relationships, it's who we are. We are humans. We relate. We find satisfying relationships because there are satisfying relationships and there are those relationships that are traumatic. Well, that's why, Rose, we're doing this show. Because from my point of view, you mentioned there it could be a lifelong of uh, experience mm -hmm. recovering from trauma. And I've had a passion to have this show for a very long time. And I also want to say a big shout out and thank you to, to the people behind this show being able to happen today. But, but trauma has a long lasting legacy that needs yes. to be dealt with. So before we go into all of those details, I want to be very, very, very clear about what we would describe as a relationship which is abusive on unhealthy as opposed to just having a bad day with your husband or your partner or your girlfriend or your mum or your dad or your sibling, whoever that is. You know, we all have bad days where we just don't like the person that's next to us or around us and we scream and shout because we're human. But what is the definition of an abusive or unhealthy relationship? So if somebody's watching this, how do they know that they're not just having a normal relationship that's going through a bad period, but actually there's something, there's red flags and alarm bells there? I think the two key words would be persistent and consistent. Mm -hmm. So I think in an abusive relationship, what happens is that persistently and consistently, there are uh, moments where you feel that either you're being denigrated or where you're being made to feel that you don't count or that what you say is not good enough consistently and persistently. So it's not just a one-off thing, but regularly there will be moments where you feel that the other person um, does not accept you as you are, is very critical of you, um, uh, is out, you know, blames you for everything that happens, even things that have nothing to do with you. And, you know, if that is happening all through, um, uh, then yes, that is an abusive relationship. The problem is that sometimes we don't recognize these things. And I think that in, in my, my practice, and I'm sure Rose will say the same thing, is that sometimes we have, to, we as therapists have to call out, wow, that is abusive, you know, that is not okay. Do you realize that is not okay? And sometimes when you're in it for a very long while, you don't even realize that those things are not okay. Your friends might be telling you this, but I guess having someone outside of the system, you know, as a therapist telling you, hang on, you know, calling it out, you know, that is abusive. That should not happen. It makes a hell of a difference for people because you don't realize when you are in it. And, you know, sometimes people are in it for different reasons. Most often, um, it would be perhaps because they don't they have experienced it in their own family already, their own family of origin, you know, and therefore this is what they know, this is what they're used to. And so they keep at it, even though it's really impacting them, impacting their mental health, their physical health and everything, you know, they still kind of do not see how bad it is until somebody kind of calls it out for them and, you know, tells them this is abuse, this is not okay. <laughs> And we're going to come to that learning in, in just a second, because that's my next question for you. But but thank you. And I think 
for, for myself, I, there's things running true for me, but absolutely, once somebody validates you by saying, this is not right, that mm -hmm. gives you the courage to start that path of dealing with it. Slowly, but, and, but yeah, because it takes a while, mm -hmm. even though people will tell you, you know, this is not okay. I think you have to come to it. Yes. You have to realize this. And perhaps I'm going to go back a few steps. Mm -hmm. When you said in the introduction about abusive relationships are becoming more reported, more we're more... It's because of programs like this. It's because of the awareness. And the awareness is the first key mm -hmm. into the healing of any toxic, traumatic relationship. So, And it is one of the most important elements for the person to become aware, knowledgeable. And sometimes it's like it, take, it might take years and years and years until the person says, Oh yes, that's that's like my experience. How come I didn't? Because when we're living in it, when the person is constantly in it day and night, and sometimes yes, like Roberta said, <clears throat> friends might come and say, "Look, I don't see this as right." Sometimes friends see things but are too afraid or are too preoccupied to break a relationship for fear of break. But we need to be careful when we're seeing something and we, if we have a good relationship and if we care about the person, awareness is the first key aspect. Would you then add to anything that Roberta just said there about how to identify what an abusive relationship is? Yes, I mean, I concur with all the things Roberta said and uh, I emphasized on the awareness because sometimes when a person is living in an abusive relationship and is a victim of that relationship, it's like the emotional abuse, the not being validated, the isolation from friends and family, because that also happens, it sort of becomes for the victim the normality. Mm. And this is why it's important that the awareness is the first step. Because when we're kind of, oh, and when you see these victims, when you speak to these victims, they say, but this is how it's been. And if it is not physical abuse, many, let's say women, I work mainly with women, they would say, oh, there was no physical abuse, but this is how it was. And okay, we would have arguments and he would be very verbally abusive, but then he would buy me a gift or he would be mm -hmm. so nice. And <laughs> that aspect of him is so nice. And then you would start, and like Roberta said, once you bring it up and say, don't you think this is abusive? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Is that abusive? So the key element here is to instill awareness. Now, you were talking about love bombing, and we will be addressing yes. the, those characteristics of very particular kinds of abuse a little bit later on. But, you know, you both mentioned about, about not seeing it, and, and that's something I wanted to just bring up. And, and part of the first question is that if, if your foundation as a human being is to work for love, to 
never accept, be given love freely or to have a warped sense of what loving relationships are, then that's going to be how you view every other relationship, that you always have to work for it or you always accept irres irresponsible ir and unrespectable, uh, disrespectful, I should say, behavior towards you because that's the foundation. And no, nobody wants to question what they grew up with because you as a human being believe the best of your parents, your peers, your family. You want to believe the best of them. And I think, so my question really is, what are the general effects? I mean, I'm, I'm illustrating my own story, but what are the general effects of growing up within damaging relationships? What, what does that do? What does that do for your future? It totally molds your future. Totally. Become, mm -hmm. Your character is based on those early years as a child growing up in that environment. I mean, for me, it, it just totally um, molded me. And then, and, and, and the situations that I went through at home, then I um, uh, looked for again in, in the relationships as an adult and made the same, went into repetitive sort of like that father figure kind of thing and accepting the same kind of um, treatment and and even worse and hanging around and feeling of total inadequacy, that you're always the underdog, that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, you're not... And it just it just goes on and on. It never, it never leaves you. Mm -hmm. It never leaves you, never, even with all the therapy. I mean, I, I, I spent years in therapy fighting to, to come to terms with, with things and to accept and to find some self-confidence, whatever. And I come out as being self-confident and whatever, but inside I'm a totally different person. Mm -hmm. And I always will be, no matter how much therapy I go to, it's always there. It's your default position in a way. Yeah. Yes. And you have You're to fight to, it. And then yes. you have to fight it over and You have over to fight again. it. You have to fight it every single day. You have to wake up and you have to fight it every mm -hmm. single day. Because... In a way, what you said, Sue, is very relevant. It's like the prototype of relationship mm -hmm. that we have, that in part, in order for us to survive, we adjust to that relationship. Now, if we're an infant, if we're a teenager, if we're an, we keep adjusting to survive. It's, the, it's human nature. So what happens is even how we survive and create ourselves we keep repeating that mm. <laughs> and i keep going back yes and it is with awareness that because then you realize and you said you wake up in the morning like roberta said and it's the default position that we go to and but then you can say oh no i'm not going there again mm. i have the awareness of not to go there i am not that same child i do not need to survive now now i can live fully try but you can try <laughs> you can try you can try but if i mean for instance if as a young child you are taught yes. to override your gut feeling and your gut feeling says this is not reasonable behavior this is not acceptable behavior this is not what love should be this is not how a loving person should act if you are taught as a small child to overwrite that and ignore it in my experience you spend the rest of your life yes. overwriting yes, 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 that yes. gut feeling. So when the wrong person comes in, but 
hits your buttons because that's the behavior that you know and that you understand and that you've grown up with, suddenly you're saying your gut is screaming and shouting and saying they're not right for you, but you know how to overwrite that gut because that's exactly what you learned. Yes. Because, because you'll it... take what you can get. Mm -hmm. You'll take whatever you can get. Whoever offers you a little bit of what mm -hmm. you want, a little, mm -hmm. just, a, just even a little bit, you'll take it. You won't, you won't, you won't be choosy over who you're going to be with. Just as long as you're going to be with someone who's going to give you a little crumb of whatever it is that is missing mm -hmm. inside of you. Can, can I just say? I mean, I agree because you try to get whatever, hoping that it will be. the good. But what you said, Rudy, is, is very relevant, going against our gut right. feeling. And speaking of trauma, when we go through trauma, it is held in the body. So your body is full of experience. Yep. And it speaks out as in having the gut feeling, but then we still try to go against it. <laughs> we need to listen to our gut feeling. Mm. Because it is the body speaking to us and saying, hey, there's danger. Mm -hmm. This is a red flag. But that's a lot of conditioning that has to be unlearned. And we'll yes. talk about that with you ladies in a second. But to give a, a, an extreme example, for me, I walked down the aisle of my first marriage knowing in my gut it was the wrong Thing. I knew it was the wrong thing. He'd already demonstrated some of the behavior. Mm -hmm. He was already sleeping with prostitutes. He was already doing all of the things that I knew was going to affect me in later life and did dramatically. And, and the, the possibly the most abusive relationship I could ever have imagined. But I knew walking down the aisle that my gut was telling me this is the wrong thing. This is the wrong thing. You should not be doing this. But because I'd learned so emphatically to overwrite the gut, mm -hmm. I said, you know what? If I work hard enough, if I love mm -hmm. him hard enough, mm -hmm. if I put in enough work and enough effort, I'll I make can make work. this work. I had the same thing on my wedding. And on the way walking out, you know, at the, at the outside, on the outside of the church, everybody stands there and you have the photos taken. Yeah. And I turned to my witness standing on the church and I said, I've made the biggest mistake of my life. Nice. That was how I came out of the church. That's what I told her. But this is this is very true. The fact that you think and you believe that yes. you're going to change the person, that love can conquer all, and but love is not enough. You mm -hmm. know, this is what I have learned through my own experiences and through working with people. That sometimes um, we believe that through our love we're going to make that person Better. love us, mm -hmm. because this is what we would crave, be craving for: is the human needs to be loved. And usually abusive people would give you that love at the beginning, you know, would make you feel very special, would make you kind of feel the top of, of the world and, and the most important person in their life. But then once that happens, you know, they would take you out for a lavish day. But once, you know, once you, they got you hugged, then the, the process of denigration would start. But you would want to have to reachieve that feeling, you know, and there will be moments, tiny moments where... the feeling would be good again. And that would reinforce again your belief that That's you it. can change that person, that the person will eventually love you. Most often we also think, oh, because, you know, he had a very difficult childhood or his parents kind of influenced him, but don't worry, I'm, we're, you know, I'll, I'll be able to um, uh, help him and, and make him love me the way I want him to love you, love me. But 
it, it won't work. You know, it really won't work because love is not enough. And these relationships really show you that it's not just about the love. You know, it's a, it's a, a the, there is a whole um, uh, package that needs to come with love. You know, there needs to be the understanding, the empathy, the connection, the, you know, the, that the other person making you feel like you're really, truly special mm -hmm. consistently in the, in the good way now, consistently and persistently, you know, um, uh, so it's different. And sometimes when you know a bad relationship and you manage to get out of it, then you are in a good relationship, then you can see both and you can re realize you know what what a good relationship is all about but oh, it's yes. a process i wonder how many good relationships time. there are though because I, I i always remember looking at other people say getting married or they're even on social media you see mm -hmm. them getting married and they seem to be having this fantastic day and i think no you know i mean they look really happy they look like that's going to be a really good relationship mm -hmm. and even when you see other people other couples married couples or whatever in your social life you you looking at them you think that everything's hunky-dory then when you start talking to them or, or say you become friendly say with the woman or whatever you find out that the majority of them are, mm -hmm. are, are are not great relationships no matter what you're seeing from the outside you know i think there's a difference though between not a great relationship mm. and an abusive an relationship, abusive yes. relationship mm. yeah. i think i think we need to make that distinction you know because... and that's why that was the first question yes because choosing the wrong life partner is not necessarily putting yourself into a situation of abuse it's just not making a wise decision and i would say probably from what sue and i are both saying is that we led ourselves into a situations which were very unhealthy mm -hmm. because we thought we knew that behavior we thought we knew best mm -hmm. but you're absolutely right not every not every unhappy marriage is an abusive marriage. Not any, every unhappy <clears throat> family relationship is an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. It's just not a good relationship. Mm -hmm. But I also concur with you. And I also think of that. I've, I've just got married for the second time at the grand old age of 48. And I actually do feel now, and I felt at 45, that I knew what that decision mm -hmm. was to make healthy decisions. Now we also, there's, I mean, this, this topic is massive mm -hmm. because it's not just family, but also there might be friends that you have to break up with, mm -hmm. yes. toxic people in your life that you have yes. to have to get rid of. We can't do much about work relationships, but I want to stick with the family just for a second, because I think we've identified, Sue and I have both certainly spoken from personal experience that those formative relationships are what then form the foundation of everything else. So what as a parent should we be looking to give our children and to, to be able to equip them for the future? And what as children who are grown up, what should we be identifying as behavior that we should be letting go of? Again, when we're speaking about the family and we're speaking about upbringing of the children, if we look, I mean, we're in Malta, okay? And it's not just what we carry from our family. It's also cultural influence, religion, schools. Absolutely. And so basically, um, when we're looking at this, we need to look at all the influences and where we're coming from. I mean, we're all a bit of age here. <laughs> okay. so, I love Sue's looking at me going, I'm okay, oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. So my, my point is here, culturally, what was the traditional Maltese family like? 
where you have many times the father who's on the outside looking in as the male dominant I mean, the economic one that's bringing in the money. Breadwinner. The breadwinner. And that is the mother who's the uh, nurturer and taking, I, we're just speaking about 30 years ago, this is the traditional Maltese family. And we cannot just remove the concept as easily as that. So this keeps going through generations. And what do we have in this country as generations, where we have the male dominant figure. I mean, many of us would say, oh, I remember my mother making sure that the dinner was ready by midday and we'd have the plate on the table for father to come in. It's like the king is coming in and it's okay. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong, but this is what we were taught from the families. Some families still culturally and traditionally hold the same thing. So what are we saying here? Are we equal in the relationship? Exactly. And this is what we're teaching and this is what we need to teach our youngsters and not just the girls. We need to teach even the boys. That And many of us, why are we having difficulties? Because now today we have girls who are becoming much more educated. They have professional jobs and they're equal. I mean, I wouldn't think my daughter would think differently that she's not equal as to her boyfriend. But we're fighting not just the family, how we were, but we're fighting a tradition, culture, which has been coming intergenerationally. In but it's not only here in Malta. It's oh, everywhere. I know. I'm speaking about, everywhere, yes, everywhere. for sure. My, I mean, and North Africa, we're in the Mediterranean, Italy, Greece. We know this. It's like, so... This is much more than the individual. So we started off with speaking about someone coming to us for therapy. Sue was speaking about her own experience of going to therapy. It's a concept which is much more wider. But again, we're looking at it. And the more we learn and the more we teach our youngsters about what it truly means to be equal in a relationship, what it truly means to be mutually respected, mutually validated. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm becoming aware that I'm constantly going on to the aspect of positive and, but oh, absolutely. <clears throat> we need to give hope as well to anyone who's seeing this, that these are the aspects that exist there. Unfortunately, yes, like you were speaking about your experiences, unfortunately, Many times we go into relationships blindly, young, dreamers, and it would be a bad relationship. But that bad relationship will teach us, like Roberta said, to value a good relationship then. So it's like we're constantly learning and we're never too old. You know, there's, a, there's another thing about valuing the good relationship and learning from a bad relationship. But when you are the subject of um, that kind of abuse in the house, whatever, as a child growing up, um, uh, the nice guys who would offer you a nice relationship are not attractive to you. Oh, yes. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. You're and, so right. And then, yes. and you always go for the asshole. For the challenging one. You always yes. go for the bad one. And because I mean, when I know. see myself <clears throat> as a teenager and I look back teenager dating that whole time, I had 
lots of very nice boys, nice, good boys. And I see them today. They are nice, good men, you know, and they want to. And I just, no. Not attracted yeah, Absolutely to them. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put a room with a hundred men and one asshole and I'll make a beeline to him. And he's the one I'll choose. Sue, yes. Sue, I'd be fighting you for that asshole because <laughs> that has been right up until 45. That's been my repetitive behavior mm. is to go, is to seek out relationships that validate my understanding my uh, my upbringing and it was only at 45 I met the nice guy who I was in a position to be able to welcome and recognize those good qualities but we've been fighting Subcon you and I would be having a fight subconsciously you continuously yes. go for yes. the guy who's going to make you feel like shit who's going to treat you like shit and and sub you do it subconsciously it's because you're unhappy in it you're unhappy feeling like that and then you finish with him and you go on to the next one you find the next person to beat it, you up you know uh, i don't know okay what you're saying is theorized there's theories about this unconsciously we keep repeating the cycle that was like if we saw our parents in this sort of relationship mm -hmm. let's not um what we do is that we keep going for similar men in order for us to heal with that which our parents mm. did not manage to do. Mm. So basically, if my, God rest his soul, no, my father was a narcissist, an abuser, I would go, yeah, for the bad one in the crowd and pick him up, believing that I have the capacity Change to change him yeah, can I, and change. Can I ask you on that as well? Because that's one theory, but I also have another theory on that. And you mentioned the word narcissist, and we're going to come to that in a second. But if you have experienced a form of love where you had to work for it, where you had to always be on edge for it, where you had to fight for it, where you had to uh, really reach for it, is it not a case of that anything that doesn't look like that isn't, you wouldn't recognize it as love. You wouldn't recognize it as having any value whatsoever. The nice boys aren't important. The nice boys don't mean anything it make, it, because it, you don't have to work it, for it. It used to, no, it used to make me uncomfortable. I used to feel like, for example, I, um, for example, the, the, there was one guy that I had dated who was very nice and he wanted to go out for Valentine's Day to a, a romantic restaurant, you know, just the two of us. No, I can't, I can't, I can't take that. Don't put me in that kind of situation. I don't want, I don't, I don't want that intense mm -hmm. niceness. And I just, I, 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 I can't take it. I don't want it. No. I mean, don't give me Valentine's Day, for example, where you're celebrating this stuff with a nice guy. No. Better off to have Valentine's Day with somebody who you have to ask for your flowers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, but that's yes. just it. Yes. This is it. You know, instead of somebody who wants to come and give you the flowers and take you out with him. My God, how intense that is. No, I can't do that. Go sit in a restaurant on the table for two. <laughs> Madonna and have to look in each other's eyes and gaze at each other and go, oh, how much I love you. No, I mean... I can't, it's like I have an allergy to it, you know. I can't, I can't, can't take it. Can't, too in much fact, stress. In fact, my husband and I now have a, a whole thing that when we first met, we said, uh, I, he said to me, you know, how do you feel about Valentine's? I was like, no, no. Mm. Don't ever buy me flowers. I don't want flowers. Let's just celebrate each other every day. I don't do Valentine's. I mean, even now at my age, I don't do Valentine's. But you were nodding frantically there because there's several yes. theories that have just gone on around the, yes. the table there about... 
again, why, why you would be attracted to, to those relationships. And in my mind, it's because it's learned behavior. In, in your mind, it's because it's, it's subconscious. You don't, you don't go out in the evening, say, for example, I mean, for, for me, you were a teenager, right? When you started going out onto the dating scene, 16, 17. You don't go out at 16, 17 saying, right, I'm going to look for the biggest asshole in the club oh. tonight. You don't do that. You just happens. go out looking looking for I think a boyfriend. I want, I want to add another bit to the theory. I think it is also the case that if you have experienced a difficult childhood where parents were very conditioned in their love towards you, the chances are that your self-esteem is very, very low. No, yeah. mm-hmm. And therefore, because your self-esteem is very, very low, you would not know that you deserve better than an asshole. You know, you will just accept what is given to you. And it's only as we grow older that we kind of then have experiences perhaps where we'll try, we learn our value, we learn our word, that we, we can start questioning. But most often when people get into these kind of relationships, their sense of self, their sense of who they are is very poor, is very, is very um, um, damaged by the fact that they had a lot of conditional love. You know, you, I only love you if you do well at school. I only love you if you obey me. I only love you if you help me out in the home. All these messages that we used to get as, as kids would then translate into, you know, accepting just what there is. And if someone just shows you a little love, you know, you grab it immediately and you believe that no one else is going to love you or that you're not lovable enough, you know. So at least there is this guy who loves me, you know, and even well, if it is just a little bit. Even if just even a little bit, a crumb. Yeah, the, the, for you 19 know? years in a relation, I used to say, you know, because, I mean, obviously my friends and everything knew that the relationship was really bad. <clears throat> and sort of 95% of the time it was. So when people would tell me like, but why do you say? Because, you know, when he's nice, he's, he's really nice. nice. Oh my yes, God, that's something. He's nice, he's really, really nice. All the time. When he's in a good yeah. mood and we sit down and we have a, a conversation, whatever, I really enjoy it. Yes. You know, so it's sort of like, and it's like you said before, so that 5% that happens maybe once or twice a year gives you that hope to go on for the rest of yes. the, yes. you know, and you keep... You know, things will change. You keep on hoping. It reinforces you, you know, that, you know, if you do it right enough, if you are, you know, obedient enough, if you're loving enough, mm. then those 5% is going to increase to 10% and eventually to 20 It will never happen. And your self-esteem as well. It because as a child, your self-esteem wasn't um, encouraged to, to be sort of like at a normal level. Your self-esteem continues taking that battering and... and you just don't feel confident enough to leave the relationship. You don't feel confident. Yes. But can mm-hmm. I ask you something, Sue? Because I have a feeling, you, you know, you talk about childhood and you talk about your, your 19-year relationship, but I have a feeling that even as a, as a child at school, you were full of life and popular. No, I wasn't. You weren't? No. I, I was, no, I was always, I was never popular. I was bullied. I left school at 14. I had special permission to leave at 14. Because I was bullied so badly, um, uh, I hated going to school and I hated coming home. I wa- I, I didn't. Uh, th- there was no. Uh, and at home, when I was at home, I used to I used to spend my weekends looking through all the door the drawers and cupboards because I was sure I was adopted. I was sure this is what mm-hmm. where, where I was supposed to be. I was sure there was somebody else who who had had me, and I didn't belong to these parents. You know that that uh, it, that that it couldn't be. And it wasn't that my parents were abusive towards me or, or whatever. They it, it wasn't 
towards me in that kind of way. It was that their relation, my father had a, a terrible, terrible temper, very Mediterranean. My mother came from um, a very good family that um, uh, in, in, in those days, you know, you really controlled your behavior and your emotions and what you said. I mean, you don't, you know, there's m yes. most of the things you just don't talk about. So they were two totally opposite people, you know, like, I mean, if my mother had been Mediterranean or Maltese, she would have probably controlled my father better. And so it would have worked a little bit better. But in our case, it wasn't. So my father used to um, uh, regularly, sort of like, especially around, say, Christmas time, Easter time, or whatever, have this huge blowout, break all the furniture, shout and scream that the whole street that we lived in knew that he was having one of his fits, you know? So, the, and, then, and then you see, like, I mean, he would literally go along, along this and just wipe everything off and throw it, you know? Everything oh. in the room would be totally destroyed. And, and I would feel, as a child, I would feel that, that, that um, blowout coming from three days before. From three days before, I would start having, I, there was a very particular nightmare that I would have. And I would find myself sleeping under the bedside table in my room. To protect yourself. Three days before, so that there would be no sort of like argument, nothing that I could hear, but it you was a female, always. You and sure it. enough, three days of, I would do that for three days in a row. And sure enough, there would be this whole blowout complete, you know, the how, and then my parents wouldn't talk to each other for about two or three months, and then they would start to talk to each two other. Two or three months? Mela, um, because, my, because my mother coming from the, the, the background that she came from, so was sort was of like from? very, my mother's Irish, she came from okay. an, she comes from an aristocratic family, so they were very um, uh, well-to-do and sort of like, you know, and very, you know, you, you know when you look at these when you look at these period dramas, how <laughs> controlled they are, and that's how she is or was, or you know, and so she then would become because I mean she was miserable in her marriage. She was very both my parents. I mean, I can see how mismatched they were and how miserable both of them were, and they weren't bad people, but they just brought out the worst in each other. Isn't and that again comes <laughs> down to. If I may, that that creates a situation which is unhealthy. Uh, it's a mismatch. You said it's not. They, they, it's not... really sad. I feel I feel so sad because individually they weren't bad people and they could have been happy with the right person. You know, I mean, my mother, my mother before she met my father was engaged to somebody else and then he died. He had a heart attack and he died. And I don't think she ever got over that. My father met my mother sort of like he was, uh, you know, a real nerd and studying. He was on his third degree and whatever. And he met her and that was it. He fell in love with her. And he was like a one woman man, you know, never, never. He'd never been with anybody else. He was never with anybody else afterwards. Um, uh, and he he uh, got early onset um, uh, dementia or Alzheimer's. I don't know which one it was. But anyway, he got early onset. So at that point, then the separation or the was in that and 20 Five years in court. Oh my God. 25 years, because as soon as the court case would finish, he would open another one. So for him, it was like the separation was yesterday for all those years. And for all those years, from as long as I could, because at 14, then we left, my mother left. And so we were, I wasn't living with him. But from 14 until the day he died, until two years before he died, he would phone at around, say, four o'clock in the morning and scream and shout at me for about two or three hours. And I would just sit there on the phone listening mm. to it. 
because you're like your mother, because you, because you're nothing, because you're stupid, because your mother did this, and because your mother did that, and because this and that, 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 and then if my then he wouldn't pay her the maintenance, and so my mother would tell me go to your father and ask him for the maintenance, and then okay. I would go and and then he would tell me you're like your mother and whatever. My father wrote eight wills, disowned me in in six of them. You know. And it's not because he didn't love Metau, because he wasn't, because he did in his own warped way, but he was also abused from his father, or brought up in a, in a very um, violent kind of, you know, um, uh, household. That learned behavior. Mm -hmm. and that it, learned it, behavior. It and becomes it, intergenerational. Yes. See? Yes. And my mother yeah. also, her father, my mother's father, was also abusive to his wife, and she was brought up like that. Exactly. And there were loads of times where they were. Um, taken out of bed in the middle of the night and 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 put into the garden and whatever and so she had that kind of um, uh, upbringing and 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 uh, trauma as well and 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 one of the things that I never forgave my mother until maybe a year or two ago is why she didn't leave my father mm, that is... because she left him once we moved to Ireland I started school and then she lost that courage and she came back. She went back to him, and I've I never I couldn't an forgive her. Relationship is very very difficult. Difficult. Yes. So I think as well in those days as well it was financial exactly. dependence yes. because yes. what was she yes. going to yes. do? Yes. What was the where was she going to get the money? She hadn't really worked much of her life. I mean she'd worked, but she'd spent then twenty five odd years not working. An abuser would make you feel that you're not good enough, that you are not, you will not able to survive on your own. Mm -hmm. You know, so that is what. Um, uh, such an abuser would do and obviously the unknown is very scary mm -hmm. so leaving a marriage is very scary also because what you know with all its bad things is something that you know that you have control over mm -hmm. to a certain extent and that in you those days you didn't leave your marriage it. like you leave now much now mm -hmm. we now it's become to the opposite nowadays, yeah? yes uh -huh. financial financial pressure financial or even emotionally emotional, emotional as well but even then when you fix the emotional the financial is a huge play Yes. When you have children and yes. whatever, and you can't work, I mean, on on a on a woman, it's really difficult. On a woman, it's so much more difficult than on a man because it is, it is, it is. You, you said something just going back to to what you were saying before about walking out of the church and turning to your witness and you you acknowledging that you had made a massive mistake, which is exactly my experience. And I had, Aww. I paid for it in every single, mm -hmm. every single way imaginable. I paid for that mistake mm -hmm. and with, and paid for it for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But there's certain amount of peer pressure there as well. And we'll come to this towards the end of the, mm -hmm. the show of you're standing there. Everybody's applauding you. Everyone is you don't want to fail. You don't want to be no, the person of course. You who want gives to make in. it work. You do, exactly. And if you, certainly if you're used to narcissistic behavior, you don't want to give in. Somebody who is, and we'll come to that in a second, but somebody who is persistent in, in pursuit of love will not give in and will keep going beyond reasonable barriers and boundaries because they still believe if they work hard enough, they can make it happen. But there is a certain amount of social peer pressure where as you said sue it you want to be seen to being in this you've said this a number of times to be in these fantastic beautiful relationships nobody wants to admit that actually it's a bit shit mm -hmm. isn't that right because it will make you feel as a failure exactly. because when we are pursuing our dream and many girls play, getting married, having children, la, la, la. 
So it's pursuing a dream. And the first thing, when a person realizes that she is in the wrong marriage, she is in the wrong relationship, and to start thinking of doing something about that, first and foremost, the first thought is, oh my goodness, I'm a failure. You remember how we said Mm -hmm. earlier on that it's like we keep repeating the pattern that we saw in our childhood that we craved for our parent to love us, that we craved to be hugged and held and given unconditional love. And we're hoping to find it in the romantic relationship. So when we believe that we found it and we're creating this pattern, then it's so difficult Mm -hmm. to become aware and say, oh my goodness, this is not working. I need to get out. That is the Mm -hmm. most difficult thing because that carries with it. So then I'm a failure Mm -hmm. because I did not make this thing work. And that's very difficult. Or else you're a a runner, like like, um, uh, The Runaway Bride. Uh Remember that? That that film? And And as women, we are given the responsibility for relationships. You know, we are socialized to believe that we are the ones responsible for relationships. So if a relationship goes wrong, then we haven't worked hard enough, you know, and that is very difficult to fight. That is really difficult to fight. Absolutely. Well, listen, I want to talk about something that, uh, and I want to say thank you, first of all, Sue, for sharing your story. I know that you've got more of a story to share, but, but thank you. And I want to talk about a very particular kind of behavior. And it's one of the reasons that this show came about, which is narcissism and narcissistic behavior. And we had a conversation before the show just to clarify that that 20% of, of the population will at some point uh, exhibit narcissistic behavior. That doesn't make you a narcissist yes. or someone who has narcissist Uh, narcissism personality disorder and there are nine personality disorders but I want to address this one because because of how dangerous it is Mm -hmm. because when you get involved with this particular person whether it be a family member a friend a relationship a work colleague the patterns of behavior are incredibly specific and they're incredibly addictive Mm -hmm. and they're incredibly um, subtle, <laughs> subtle, and also they 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 wrap you up and they yes. they put you in that position where, as you've just said, you can't walk away. You don't know how to walk away. You you put up with far more than you should do. Now, myself, I was in a relationship with a narcissist for four years, and I put up with things that I never dreamt in a million years that I would ever tolerate. I said to myself, if someone was physically abusive, that's it, I'd walk away. I get punched in the face and I get a black eye. No, 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 but you know, they didn't mean it. Then they love bomb you, all of these. And then they were unfaithful. Yeah, but you know, I know that they love me. And and you have, just as everything as we've described before. Now there's good things about, um, about being in relationships and healthy things, but ultimately narcissism will ask you to pay a huge price price. and I think for a lot of people because of the nature of narcissism we don't recognize what it is we don't know what it is and it might be that our friends can see it because they've not had experience of it before and it isn't necessarily just people who've been in in relationships with narcissists before who fall into these narcissistic relationships but I want to talk about just first of all defining what it is and then 
there's some real key points with narcissists, you know, confrontation, don't even bother, you know, these sorts of things. But just to define what a narcissist is, somebody who has a narcissistic personality disorder, what they are, so that we can break that down and we can talk about the effects, how to avoid them, how then to deal with that situation. So, so Rose, for you. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling <laughs> because you might be attracted to the narcissist. Exactly. First and foremost, exactly. I was, absolutely was. And, and, and let's, let's be a bit, um, let's make some clarifications because we hear all the time like it's being thrown out there. Um, we hear it in our clinics, we hear it in, 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 in common language. Oh, I was going out with a narcissist. Da, da, da. Narcissist is being, is a card. Look, yes. at, look at Facebook, look at social media. Oh, Everybody's saying, oh, because he's a narcissist and we have so many professionals who are <laughs> on, on social media who are labeling people. So let's be careful. Yes. So we have narcissistic traits, which we're here in front of cameras. We have a bit of narcissistic traits. Of we're course. being seen by a lot of people. That is one of the traits. Okay. So... But then we have the personality disorder. So we have, it's like... A continuum. A continuum. So we might have, yes, I feel good because you're smiling back at me, meaning that you're giving me feedback. Ah, oh, that's nice. That could be part of the narcissism. I'm liked. Mm -hmm. So that's a trait. But then you have the personality disorder, which becomes... Roberta explained perfectly well, consistently and persistently. So when you have the traits that are seen all the time in all situations. So if you have a person with narcissistic personality disorder, certain behaviors are not contained in a restaurant. And this person, if he was not given the treatment that he felt that he had deserved exactly because they feel entitled Very he will entitled. still be he, he will become angry so this is what we mean when we say consistently and persistently meaning in all situations in all areas and aspects and but mostly they are charmers mm -hmm. you would meet a narcissist and you would say oh my goodness what a nice person he yeah. is mm -hmm. Oh, we're all smiling. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that one. <laughs> so they're charmers. And then they would you would find that there's like another aspect to them. As much as they can be charmers, they can be cruel, abusive, mm -hmm. and it could also be subtle. Mm -hmm. This is important because many people stay in relationships because they don't recognize the subtleness, how it's coming. How come I had a lot of friends and suddenly since and I've been going I out, I have nothing. I have no friends. What happened to me? The subtleness of it. Sometimes people do not are not even aware of it. But there, as we've said, there are some very particular traits. So there is the, the charming, the, 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 the happy to... Uh, um, the high opinion the of themselves, yeah. yes. the but putting down empathy. of everybody else. Of empathy. I think also another trait is the lack of empathy. Mm -hmm. Just again, just to reiterate what, what Rose was saying. So, uh, you know, to actually diagnose somebody, uh, let's be a bit clinical, to actually diagnose somebody with narcissistic personality disorder, 
the, the DSM, which is the book that we use, it's like our Bible, would require that he would have around five or more of nine symptoms. Okay, so it's not just a person who lacks empathy. It does not mean that he is a narcissist or she is a narcissist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, uh, uh, the, the difficulty in being empathic, uh, you know, is one of the most uh, um, difficult things to live in in a relationship. Because you would want your partner to understand that you're going through a bad day, for example, mm-hmm. you know, um, but the narcissist would actually turn it around and either make it about him having a bad day because mm-hmm. you have a bad day, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> or else, or else. It was would, worse. Uh, pardon? Or his was worse. Oh, his, his was, was worse. worse. Yeah, always yes. worse. Yeah. Or else they would totally dismiss Yours it. Yours is not important. Yes. Totally what your day was it. like is not important. Your feelings are nothing about you is important. Nothing. Whatever it is, it's not important. Yes. All that's important is him, how he feels, how his day went, what his job is doing, how stressed he is, how important what he's doing because he's running the world. And I mean, you think he was my God, you know, but and everything that has to do with you is yeah, irrelevant. I'm going to jump in just for a second, because being English, we uh, we tend to be gender neutral uh, because we've said a lot of hymns. Yes. And yes. I want to recognize okay. that there are a lot of hers. Yes. yes. Because it, because yes, yes, yes. Where, whereas we immediately associate narcissism with men, mm-hmm. there are as many female narcissists that's a very important point because sometimes in the like uh, colloquially we kind of associate immediately narcissism with being a male you know and even sometimes in in blogs and not blogs in in forums and stuff like that online you'd find this kind of men hate kind of because all men are narcissists which is absolutely not true true because there are as many females as males that are that are narcissists one thing i want to add about the why we kind of sometimes get very attracted to narcissists is that on a on a certain level if we had to look at at the narcissist basically what would have happened to that narcissist if in in his story would be that at some point something happened to which he reacted by developing a sense of self that he is mm-hmm. a very good person unable to look at his faults you know because everyone else around them has faults yeah you know so um, uh, and therefore, if he's so self-important, he will look for a person who, on the other hand, would have a very low self-esteem and would think that everyone around them ha- is um, good. So you have a person who feels that I'm good, everyone is bad, connecting or you know being very fascinating to someone who believes I'm bad, my low, my have very low self-esteem because everyone around me is very good. And they kind of come together. Mm. And it's a match made in hell, really a match made in hell. Match made in hell, absolutely. You know, (laughs) because when that happens, the narcissist is going to feed on the fact that Mm. the the person who believes that she's not okay. I see the image in my head that I see is that this narcissist is like this... He's growing and growing by yes. feeding off you. Yes. So he yes, sucks yes, you, yes, yes. he yes. sucks you and he squeezes you and he grows, you know. And when you pull away and you try to get away and he feels that energy is going, then he, he reels you Grabs back in you again, again because he needs you to survive. And he does that. Can I just be very specific? Because anybody that's listening to this might, might be thinking to themselves, well, why the hell would you get involved? But there's something called love bombing, yeah. that, which is a narcissistic trait. So the minute that you're pulling away, suddenly he feels feeds you back in but we said before we said before that they are very um charming and sociable and and whatever you know and i mean they can 
but but they need you so desperately to be there because without you, it's like a, a, an engine without fuel. You are the fuel for their narcissism. Like <clears throat> when I used to tell him, for example, um, I, I, um, I'm going to my therapy. Oh, my God. You're going to a therapist. What are you going to a therapist for? Hey, how stupid you are. Are you talking about me at the therapist? But yeah. what are you telling them about me? I, I hope you're telling them the truth. I hope you're being truthful. You're not lying about me. I hope you're not saying oh, anything. Damn, you know, I mean, and what what did you, so then after the session, so did you talk about me? What did you say? What did you tell them about me? I don't know why you're going to this. This is all shit. You should stop doing this. I mean, how pathetic are you? You're so pathetic that you're going to go to a therapist. I mean, as if. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it becomes about him. Rather it's than all him. about him. What did you I tell him? Make sure that you're telling him the right things about me. Is it a him or is it a her? Oh, it's a her. Uh, it's a him. Of course, he wants to fuck you, eh, Mushek? That's a, oh, he's going to tell you that you're in the right. Of course, eh? Because that's all he wants to do is just. But also something um, that we maybe need to emphasize as well. What Roberta said, and you hinted at it as well, is like the lacking of empathy from his side, but would find the partner who has a lot of empathy, empathy and understanding. And that's what keeps her there because she's trying to empathize and understand and love this man, whereas they keep co-creating and feeding on each other. And it goes back to what we were saying before about if I just work a little bit harder, if I yes. just yes. love a little bit harder. If I try to behave, if, yes. if I try to behave Accommodate. better. If mm. I, if when we're out in public, I don't uh, put him down. If I talk to him with the proper kind of respect, if I look at him correctly, if I give him the right amount of importance, you know. So it's a dynamic, mm -hmm. you know, yes. and stepping out of that dynamic very is hard. very hard, you know. And this is what coming to what we started with, you know, having someone actually tell you that is abusive, that is not okay kind of can somewhat support you to start thinking, you know, hang on, this is not okay. You know, what, what's happening here is not okay. And I think that leaving a narcissistic relationship or leaving an abusive relationship, because I think it's, a, you know, not just a narcissistic relationship, but also an abusive relationship is a very empowering experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had people telling me, you know what, I'm walking up, I'm walking more tall now because I've managed to kind of leave this relationship. You know, because it does, it's very, very it's liberating. Because there is this dynamic that's going on. So it's not just about the narcissist, not just about the dependent person or whoever that relate that person is. It's about what is created between them and how difficult yeah. it is. That's why I said it's a marriage made in hell, you know, because it's so tough. But the moment you start kind of understanding that you deserve better, you know, that that mm -hmm. is not good enough, you know, then you start to understand that, Perhaps, yes, you know, I can step out of this and I I do deserve better than this. And that is what makes the difference. Well, I, I would say if I can, mm -hmm. I'm going to jump in there. I think probably my most experience, powerful experience of my life, and I think probably for, for you, Sue, is empowerment, is yes. stepping away from yes. those relationships. You talked about therapy and you were talking about also about public behavior and the narcissist and the narcissism. Narcissists rarely show that side of themselves in public because they want to be adored. However, they do. They do. And I re recall an occasion with the person that I was with. Uh, 
I discovered that he had been, I, I'd been hinted at that he'd been cheating on me. And then I had this black and white evidence that he'd been cheating on me. And at this point, I was in therapy and I had a fantastic therapist. And I was seeing this therapist on a Saturday. I found out evidence on a stupid, stupid mistake, mistake from the narcissist to, to indicate that he had actually been cheating on me that I, I found. And I ended up going... To, to the therapist and he said, can I come with you? At this point I had, I told him to leave, don't come home. The next day he comes to the therapist. He ended up screaming at the therapist mm. in front of me. She asked me, she asked me to, to leave the room. She had a conversation with him. She told him to leave from a side exit. She took me back in and she said, never go back to him. You will never win that situation. There is no way you can win over a narcissist. And I think that was profound for me that someone validated the fact yes. that you can't win. There is no way to win. Yes. And you but did no you go back at that stage or not? I never, never, ever had a romantic relationship with him again. I left. I needed that validation. Mm -hmm. And I also needed to know that I wasn't wrong, that he was Because I knew it for years. I knew it. I mean, I, I knew, knew it. From the I start, knew but it, I still but kept I going needed back. that validation. Still but somehow back. it seems, and Roberta spoke about this, it seems that us women take it upon ourselves to make this work. Yeah. And it is through therapy, sometimes through friends, sometimes through people that love us, that we need to become aware that hey, this is what it is. It's never going to work. Like your therapist said, mm -hmm. don't, stop trying. But somehow it's like we try to make it work and we need a mirror a to very, tell us. A very powerful experience that someone I know experienced was, you know, she was in a very abusive relationship and at one point she had thought that she was going to leave the relationship. But being an empath and being a person who understands a lot about relationships she kind of said okay I'm going to stay but she had written a letter to her husband at that point in time to tell him what um, was wrong about the relationship and how unhappy she was six years down the line she tried to leave but it was really really difficult but at one point in this process in the first three weeks of of the separation she actually accidentally on her laptop found this letter you know she found this file called dear xx she, she hadn't sent it. She hadn't no, sent she it hadn't to him. Sent it she to had him. just it written it to get her things on out the laptop. But at that point, she felt that she still loved him, you know. And six years down the line, she, she found, found the letter, email. and she could have written it that same day. Same and she said, "I'm not going to stay here for another six years." And find that letter and say, that's "My it. God, I've been here for twelve years now." And that's when she decided it was over. You know. 19 years, the years just fly by. For me, it was 19 so years. She found this I kept letter, going back you know, and going it, back. And you waste your whole life. But she never looked back. No, know? no, no. She then then when you back. finally, when you finally, when the penny finally drops and you finally yes. make the cut, finally, then you don't go back. Okay. Yes. But in the meantime, <laughs> all those yes. years have passed. 19 years. Yes. I mean, I had a, a child with him. And when we used to go out to, to lunch, because we used to go out to lunch a lot. And people would come and uh, talk to him and whatever. He would introduce me, not as his partner or his girlfriend. This is the mother of my child. Oh, oh my God. God. You're serious. This is the mother of my son. <laughs> so, 
So I used to feel like I'm the mistress, you know, I'm the, I'm the, the, the concubine. Oh. <laughs> but, but it's that feeling, isn't it? That feeling It's the feeling that it generates. And, Keeping and I, you down there. Yes. And I, I was going to come Keeping to exactly that. There. There's a term that I discovered recently about narcissism, which is called leveling. Mm-hmm. And it's about keeping the power. And if something had happened you stay in to your you, place. Mm-hmm. and if, if as long as you were underneath the narcissist, they're fine. Because but the minute that you rise, yes. they have to then bring you down. Mm-hmm. Yes. They either mm-hmm. have to bring themselves up or they have to bring you and down. And I fought so you're it. constantly underneath. I fought it a lot because no matter, I mean, my whole story is like it's one thing after the other after the other. But somehow inside me, there was this survivor who really fought it all, you know. And so with him, I, I, I used to fight it as well. So he would bring me down, but then I would kind of like slowly rise up and... But even the way I slept, for example, he used to, because I sleep on my side and I would bend my knees. He said, me, even the way you sleep, you sleep like a fetus. You sleep in the fetal position, he said, you know, and that that just goes to show how a nothing you are. What a... So even the way I slept was wrong, you know. <laughs> I, I've got to tell you, I, we were at a dinner party once and uh, it was coming up to my 40th birthday. And I, I, we were all talking about what we wanted to do for our 40th birthdays. And I said, I want to run the London Marathon. It's on my 40th birthday. And he turned around and said to everybody in this dinner party, he said, you could never run a marathon. You have short legs, like a a Shetland pony, like a pit pony. You'd run close to the ground. You'll never run a marathon. When I finished the London Marathon on my 40th birthday, we were, I don't know, four years out of this relationship. My first thought was... There you go. Uh (laughs) You take that. Mm -hmm. You take that. Don't you dare tell me I can't do anything. And I think that's where the empowerment... And I, I think we're talking about... And identifying these negative relationships, but I, and we're going to move on in a second to the power that comes from escaping from those. Before we get there, I do want to go back to, I'm being very per, pernickety and, and pedantic about this narcissism because it is a term that is so, so easily banded about. But just from Sue's story and from my own experience, if you do have a relationship with a narcissist, it's incredibly dangerous because it could take you 19 years to escape. Yes or infinitely more. Mm-hmm. So how how do we recognize those? You talked about these nine, you have, to, you have to tick nine boxes. We talked about the fact that it can be bantered around and it can be used, uh, these narcissistic traits. We all have narcissistic traits or we can have narcissistic traits. But how do we identify that we are in a relationship with a narcissist and then what is the effect on us. So first of all, you know, love bombing, leveling, victim playing, high elevation of our own personalities, et cetera, et cetera. What are other things that would be specific to a narcissist that someone might sit there and go, oh my word, you know, I, that, that I can relate to. Gaslighting is another one, mm-hmm. you know. Describe gaslighting. Okay. Gaslighting is when, uh, um, uh, I'm laughing because um, uh, a few weeks ago, I, w- I was doing up a, a project and uh, um, uh, I-, I realized that the person who was working for him was actually gaslighting me. And I suddenly, it suddenly clicked, you know, that this is what was happening. And I said to myself, oh my God, you know, he's, he's gaslighting me. And for, I think it was my first experience of gaslighting in the real sense. And basically what it was, was that, you know, he used to make me believe that I told him to do something which he did wrong. You know, and he used to make me believe or want to make me believe because I never managed 
that I actually did tell him, the, you know, to do it in that way, you know, and it was not the case, and I had proof, but yet he kept insisting, you know, um, that that is what I had told him. So gaslighting is when the person would make you feel like, uh, you know, the there's something wrong fault. and that it's your fault and that you have asked for it. You know, and it it makes them feel it makes you feel like you're going crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yes. and 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 you feel you're going. You think you're imagining it. You, you think, think you're, you're imagining f- it, and 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 so on. I was saying, oh my god, you know, this is. Because then, if bad. you if you if you pluck up the courage to actually approach them about it, and you say, but you know, you did it. Exactly. They, exactly. And they would say, you're imagining you're, this. You're imagining, you're imagining, you're imagining you're you're, mad. You're, 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 you're mad. creating this. You're inventing another, this. You say, go and take another pill because I was on and still am mm. on antidepressants. Go, oh and up my your, God. go and take another pill. You need a pill. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is gaslighting, you know, and, and it's <sighs> very dangerous because then you really start to question your, your sanity, you know, and you still and you start to question oh, your so- essence. You know, because if you know you didn't do it and you're certain of it, but another person, a very important person in your life is telling you, no, you did tell me to do it that way, you know, or you did tell me to do whatever, then you start questioning, oh my God, am I really losing it? Am I, you know, and, and he makes you feel bad, you know, for even questioning him, mm-hmm. you know, that you're doing this. And, and it's, it's, that is hard. That is hard. But then again... I mean, when we're looking at this and we were saying the type of woman that they attract and the type, the woman that it is attracted to them, this woman is staying there and doubting herself and trying to make this work. So if he's saying, oh, you created this, what are you inventing? Go take a pill. She is blaming herself. She is putting it onto herself. So this is the difficulties then of becoming aware and getting out of it. Another trait, correct me if I'm wrong, but another trait is isolation. Mm-hmm. I know oh, yes. in my instance that, 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 from that everyone. It, it actually, it, it, was, uh, it was what brought me to Malta, which was a great thing. And I'm very grateful for that. But to isolate from your family and your friends, this is another trait of a narcissist, is it? It happens. It happens in a very subtle in way. In a very, very subtle way either by commenting about your friends and what sort of friends do you yeah. have? Why do you, need, you oh, why do you need it these people? These, these are the sort of friends. Mm. Don't you think you would look bad with those friends? Oh, these friends, they're jealous of you. They're, they're jealous. So She made a pass at me. <laughs> you didn't see that she fancies me, you know. So you you see, look, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like... That is where the isolation starts coming in, seeping in. Because then this woman will say, oh, he might be right. He might be kind of these friends. And then it starts going into the immediate family as well. Well. Mm -hmm. Your mother. Your mother. The way your mother (laughs) spoke to me. Your mother or your brother. Who does he think he is? He can speak to me. And it's like you're trying to keep peace peace and keep everything and not showing, Mm -hmm. most likely not showing your family and friends what you're going through to keep the quiet. And then it starts becoming, oh, I'd rather not go to my mother. I'd rather not go to my... nobody. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe, Sue, you can can confirm as well exactly what Rose Mm -hmm. has just said. There is nobody beyond criticism 
Nobody. Yes, yes. Yes, nobody. And, and don't, but don't criticize them. Okay, cool. And what you said about except for them about Christmas exactly. and special events is another thing. So they would they would always try to mess up very important days for the person. <sighs> you know, they would always try to do that. And this is not just about narcissists. This are this is about people in a people in abusive relationships or people in a relationship with an abuser. Mm-hmm. They mess up. Very special days and not just, Christmases, mm-hmm. birthdays. Not just you know. for the partner. No, no, for everyone. Even for the children no, for and everyone, for the family. For everyone. I mean, as a child growing up, you know, you'd I would watch the films in those days. Um, uh, you know, you'd watch these American films where the house was all full of Christmas trees and decorations, and the family was all over, and everybody was happy, and everybody loved each other, and whatever. And your Christmas was like the bloody yes. Antarctic, you know, like the Great Freeze or whatever. And 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 you'd be thinking, you know, all I want is to to have this. In, in fact, in my younger days, we were always invited for Christmas Day. We were always invited to this particular family, and I used to look forward to it because they loads of children. It was happy. It was fun. I didn't have to spend time with my parents. You know, my father would have been quiet and not shouting and screaming at my mother, or whatever. And it was just a really fun Christmas. Whereas if we were Christmas on our own, yes. it was like as if I was. You know, something the, small like, you know, your, you know, your mother did not tell me happy Christmas yes, in the right way. That's yes. it. So mm-hmm. how the hell can you say happy Christmas in the wrong way? Oh, yeah. That is what would happen, you know, and, and the whole scene would come, would come along, you know, just because someone has not said happy Christmas in the right tone. Mm-hmm. Have, um, hasn't shown him the, the importance or, or, that yes, he deserves. Yes, yes, yes. Or your brother did not speak to me or he looked at me in a particular uh-huh. way. But then again, what happens? The woman will own up the responsibility for her mother, for her brother, for whoever is around them. Yes, because then you'll go to your brother or your mother and you say, Ma, why didn't you tell yeah, him? Why exactly. didn't you? Couldn't, couldn't you have said to him, like, couldn't you have given him more importance? Couldn't you have shown him more? So you go back and you tell them off for not... Owning to- the responsibility <laughs> for something. But I, I also uh, have, from my own experience, and I've also read that there, there really is no way to win with a no, narcissist. No, no. That that therapy very rarely helps. In fact, therapy can often equip the narcissist to uh, to, to be able to understand how to play empathism, how to play the, you know, unraveling roles and, and, and equip them with, with... Depends if the therapist would have uh, understood what's happening or yes. not. Because, you know, if you realize you're dealing with a narcissist as a therapist, <laughs> uh, then it's a different matter. At least for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, no, no, because but, but, even in therapy, yes. and we're speaking very frankly, very honestly, <laughs> even the, in therapy... Exactly. They seduce us. Exactly. I was just going to yes, say, they, I mean, they say. must mess with your heads yes. as well. Eh? And it takes a lot of work to recognize and say, oh, wow, I'm uh-huh. dealing with something here. And sometimes they would come as a couple and he's like, you would, or maybe the partner would have spoken to you and said, look, this is the relationship, da, 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 da. And then you would meet them and say, you'll start doubting. Oh, this what she said true he's such, such a nice guy nice and guy. i mean okay so please rest assured we have the skills to recognize that yes and to work with it <laughs> and, to, and to challenge and to exactly. i don't want really to argue with so, either of you <laughs> and support and, and support them to support under, both, of, uh, them. both yes. of them yes 
you know. So um, uh, I, I, most often what we know about narcissists is usually that um, around the age of 50 plus, they actually okay. go to therapy. That's when they go into crisis. Mm -hmm. And that's the ripe time to actually try yes. and uh, kind of make them understand a little bit about what's happening inside. And, and, and also with age, some of them get better. Uh -huh, mellow down, yes. Some of them, yes. Mine didn't. <laughs> Mine gets riper and riper with age. But some of but them it's, do. It's He's like a red do. wine. He's like a red wine. He's improving. <laughs> it's a little bit more fruity. Time. Um, but, but of course, you know, there are some relationships that we can avoid if we're in a relationship with a narcissist. There's some relationships that we can escape from, or that we can terminate and finish. And there are some relationships that we can't. And so I, my question to you talking, because we're going to move on to, to kind of your story, Sue, in a second, because for me, you're a massive inspiration. And I think we want to, to kind of move on to a positive note. But if you are and you find yourself, you're sitting there, and we've only talked about a few of these traits, there's, a, there's many more. Mm -hmm. And as you've both said, it's about persistence and consistent. And so it's not a case of, you know, once my, my husband said this and he didn't like the way his, my mother and his mother-in-law, my, mo my mother spoke to him. It's about consistent behavior. Yeah. And it's worth looking into this if, if there's anybody who's thinking, okay, I recognize that behavior. Do look into it or speak to someone like yes. yourselves about whether or not you're in that situation. Now, from my experience and Sue's experience, one of those relationships, narcissistic relationships, we were able to leave. However, if it's a family member, you cannot. And the guidance from what I understand, and, and I think this goes across, is that if you can't avoid that relationship, you have to put in boundaries, boundaries. and, boundaries. and, and yes, contain it. it. How on earth do you do that? How do you do that with a relationship that you have to be in and you can't avoid, mm -hmm. but you have to look you after yourself? You don't have to be because you can just cut them out. You don't. Yes, but the reality is, I mean, it's very difficult, but the cold reality is that you don't have to be in any relationship with anyone, whether they are your mother, your father, your brother, your aunt, whatever. There's no have to be. We, we, we think that we have to be, but you don't. The reality is that you don't. Whether you have the courage to not have to be in that relationship or not is another thing. But even like, I mean, mother-daughter relationships are, are very complex you know, and then when you, if you have a toxic mother, that it makes it even worse. You don't have to keep on going to visit. You don't have to keep on. That's true, so, and I respect that. And but some people do not have the ability to do oh, that. Yes. are not empowered well, enough. Most of to us do don't. That. But yes, but and the reality but, is that you don't have. We think we have to, and exactly. that's why we have to keep on going. And because she's my mother, because he's my fault. But at the same we time, we have to. No, and I agree. But at the same time, when we're speaking about boundaries, yes, you can create your boundaries. And especially if you're an adult, we're speaking about adults here, and you would have a mother who's a narcissist or a father that's a narcissist. What can you do? Because I believe this is your question. How do you create the boundaries? First and foremost, you recognize that you can only control yourself. That's you it. are responsible for yourself. I am not responsible for my mother's, God rest her soul, behavior or comments or whatever. So in a way, creating the boundaries, reminding myself that I am only responsible for myself. And if I cannot, or if I don't want to 
disconnect completely. What I need to do is recognize where it becomes too much for me and stop it at there. Mm -hmm. So if I have one of my parents who is toxic narcissist and I still want to visit, what can I do? I go. But when I, you know, remember back when we spoke about the instinct, mm. the gut instinct, something starts feeling not right. This is when you start recognizing, okay, I've did time my time. Go. It's time to go. Recognizing boundaries and respecting them. And as an adult, I think that Sicilian phrase that families are like fish, they go off after three days, for me, <laughs> became such a useful piece of equipment in my auxiliary because I I noticed that bad behavior in families tends to show itself after 72 hours. If you have to go and stay with them, if you have to be with family, you tend to kind of tick each other off after mm. 72 hours. That's my limit. I go in, exactly. I love bomb <laughs> for one or another term, but I go in, I enjoy them, and then I get out while you're still on that yes. good Good feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Before it starts yeah. to turn sour, before the fish start to go off. Mm -hmm. Sorry, family. That's a good one. I, 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 I've never heard that one before. And That's don't engage. I think that is more important. You know, it's so hard. hard. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so sitting there going, geez. To say them. <laughs> because you're, again, trying to convince them to love you or, again, trying to convince them that you have worth and, again, trying to convince them that you are you know, valid, you're not going to manage to do and, that. Yeah. So don't engage. And maybe you we know? can add something of how not to engage okay. being in their presence. So when you're hearing them say, it's all about them, da, da, but you don't care enough, you're my daughter, mm. but you don't care enough, you don't come to see me, da, da, da. remind yourself, this is her issue and this it's is not, not mine. mine. That is how not to engage. I'm still in her presence, I'm still in the presence of the person, but I'm reminding myself and speaking to myself and reminding, this is her issue, not mine. I will not take it up on myself. I will not take the responsibility of that. It's very hard, because huh? you feel you know it, how it is. It is. Do you know how to play tennis? Yeah. Hmm? Well, I know what? the principles of tennis. <laughs> Do you know how to play tennis? Good Lord, no. Okay, but the main thing about tennis is that when the ball comes, you throw it away. You know, you do a, a hand a hand, and throw it away. And that's the same thing. When people throw shit at you, True. in your head, you throw it back at them. You know, so I, that's what I tell my clients. You know how to play tennis? Remind yourself, you know, that when somebody, because this is another thing that sometimes happens in abusive relationship. They, people who are abusers would throw their own shit at you. And learning how to recognize that that is their shit. And you're not going to take it in. You're not mm -hmm. going to swallow it is so important they project it onto you they yes, project it yes, 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 that's, yes, that's yes, the term but and i just also uh -huh. playing tennis playing tennis head. is great but i just also <laughs> do want and sue will probably agree with me on this and and not to contradict you in any way shape or form because mm -hmm. i completely agree but you did just say you throw it back at them I believe, verbally in your head. That's why, because no, no, no. Your head. It's just like I said. This is like what I said. It's like your head. This is her issue. This is yes, his issue. I, I, I will not tennis. take it up on me. Yes. It's in your head. In your head. Self talk is very important. Exactly. Self talk is is uh, absolutely. It is. I mean, first and foremost, we need to love ourselves before we go into any relationships, and it's through the self talk. 
I am deserving. I do not need to go into this. This is self-talk. That's why I wanted to clarify. Yes, because yes, I would warn, in your head. I would warn anybody who's in a relationship with a narcissist not to engage. Never <laughs> try to argue the point. Yes. Mm-hmm. You will never win. No, no. Because from what I understand, there is no limit to the energy that they have to put into yes, winning. Exactly. You could be there for five days, 19 years. They will always try to win. So I think what you were just saying about having that in your head. Now, okay, this brings me to a very nice point because you, you've, you've raised a point there. And as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself about my own story and I was thinking to myself, but I wasn't equipped. Mm-hmm. It's a great idea. I wasn't equipped at the time to be able to throw away what they said. It's a lovely thought, but I was so beaten down by this situation that I could never have thrown away what they said. Everything they said, every time I was told I had legs like a Shetland pony, it hurt. And I took it in and didn't tennis it back. Now, I'm looking at you, Sue, because I'm going to ask these ladies for practical points in a minute. But to me, you are an absolute inspiration you speak very openly about your story you spoke before about the therapy and now you've got your life together and now you're in a good place and damn the body that's not looking so good but how did you get to the point where you said enough is enough I'm sorting my life out was it a gradual journey or is there a a a point in your life where you said that's it enough I think I think it was it was gradual for me and um and I think that then after after a certain amount of time I kind of like I'd gotten so tired of it and I managed then also with going and to the therapist and whatever because then I stopped telling him that I was going to therapy so I started doing it on the start doing boundaries on the slide that is how you start doing boundaries and then you start building up and really and the thing is that going to therapy um, uh, works when you find the right therapist for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I spent a lot of time going to therapists that for example you would sit in the chair and they start so tell me about your childhood <laughs> Madonna, I don't want to go there I want to talk to you about the situation I'm in now this happened yesterday for example was I wrong was he wrong whatever so it's like for me, I, when these things started to work was that I found a therapist that I was having a conversation with, literally. I didn't, because I didn't want to go in and dredge my childhood. I don't need to do that and go through all of that trauma again. You know, what I want to know is, am I going mad or am I not? Right? Okay. So I'm not, and I'm not, and I don't want to talk to a friend of mine because a friend is going to tell me, obviously, a, a good friend is going to always take my side, Right? So, no, I, I want to go to somebody who will tell me, listen, you know, sort of over here, you were in the wrong, but over here, you were in the right. Or And then from that situation, then we can go into maybe why I was, why I behaved in that way. Like, why did I do that? Why did I, you know, go into the corner and slump to the floor and start crying? Or why this? Or why that? Um, and and um, when, when, when I found this, this... Uh, I mean, I had to tell you, you're going to bleep this out. But once I told her, you know, because I did this and then she told me, listen, you behaved like a cunt, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And and I I was like, oh, did I? (laughs) Uh, Really? She told me, yeah, you were a real cunt. (laughs) And I thought, 
brilliantest. Yeah, that I mean, that, that, that makes me feel good. Yeah, yeah, you know that I wasn't the pussy instead, you know. But um, so so I had I then found this there. I ended up finding this therapist who really, um, uh, I don't know. She just she just yeah. there was a guy and then he stopped that I went to and then there was this this woman and they just really gave me that. Um, Empowerment. Empowerment. Yes. So when I was wrong, I was wrong. And when I was right, I was right. And I knew I could go and talk to her. And she was nothing to do with the relationship. She wasn't a friend. She wasn't anybody. But she was going to tell me the truth. And she was going to tell me, listen, here you screwed up or here you didn't. And, you know. And then I got I, I, I got to the point where I could tell her, you know, like, fuck you. I'm not coming back. You're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. This is it. And that's and that the empowerment. <laughs> Finally, nineteen nineteen years later. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen years. But also, what you said about therapy is like good therapy is when we become the mirror Mm -hmm. for our clients. I need medication as well. It's okay, and I take it. It's okay. And 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 another thing that bugs me about this is that, like, when you talk to people uh, and you tell them, you know, sort of like I suffer from depression because, of course, from all of this, from. Mm-hmm. The childhood and whatever. I mean, I have clinical depression. So if I try to stop my meds, I, I I go back to being this gibbering mess. I can't live without my meds. I can't. Yes, it's like being and diabetic and needing insulin. Exactly. So come and, on, let's And you be... know, people are always telling you, oh, try and wean yourself off them. No. no. Oh. You know, I mean, if I had a broken leg, would I try and walk exactly. on it? I would exactly. go to the hospital, I would get my broken leg fixed, I would have plaster on it and I would keep it on until I need it, right? So if I have depression, I'm going to take my pills. Don't try and make me feel guilty about it. Don't try and make me feel like I need to come off them. I don't need to come off them, exactly. okay? Yes. These are what I need. If you have high blood pressure, you don't come off your meds, you stay That's on them. It. So don't make me feel like shit because I'm taking antidepressants. You know, because this is another thing then. Society and whatever is 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 is, is always trying to make you feel bad for 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 having this illness or whatever. You know what I mean? Just because it's not visible, because it's not a broken leg in a cast, doesn't mean it's any less painful or worse. In fact, a broken painful. leg fixes. My mental health does it's not. It's more painful. Actually. You have two ladies who are experts in the field right now nodding furiously at you yes, and agreeing yes, with yes, exactly yes, what yes. you're saying. Because it annoys me. It really, yes, it's yes, really it's, bloody this annoys is, this me. Is, and, this, and this is what we encounter. Like, and we have people who are afraid of medication when you know that they would need medication. This is the stigma. And like you said, the brain is an organ. Mm. So if I am sick in my stomach, it's okay to take medication. But if I'm if my brain has less chemicals and needs those chemicals to be replaced, it's not okay. Or I can change yeah. it. No, I mean, we need what, to. What, what, what is that? Why is that? Stigma. And I find that females as well, you know, like. Or sometimes worse. F- for example, um, even on social media, there are some, um, say, women's pages or whatever, where you're supposedly in a safe space to go and talk. And you go and you talk. And what do the other females do? Because most are small. So they'll know your ex. So they take a screenshot of what you wrote and they go and they show it to him. That's, and th- That's so bad. 
Right? Yes, it doesn't feel safe at all. As if, no way. You can't, there's, there's no way you can speak because that's exactly, you, you go and you think that, you know, this is a, a women's um, a group and whatever and we can all talk and no, of course not. No, mm. because there are women who want that guy and so in order to look nicer with that guy, if you've mentioned anything about him or whatever, oh what he did, goodness. they're not going to say that what he did was shit. No, they're going to take a screenshot of it. They're going to say, look at what she wrote about but you. But we also, we, we, we also said a few minutes ago that, that men are not the only narcissists. They're not yeah, the only yes. abusers. There are women as well. And, and there will be women just as male narcissists and male, male, ma male persons with personality disorders are hiding. So are women. Yes. Of course. And women will be feeding off the so same... Women are the biggest bitches, eh? In oh. reality, they are the <laughs> biggest bitches, you know? Because, I mean, men are a little bit, you know, sort of like... A bit stupid kind of thing in a way, but women, we, the the level of bitchiness with women is different. Men are abusive and power and all of that, and they want control, whatever. But women, they hit you below the belt. I and mean. that's abusive too. Of it course. is abusive, too. and yeah, that's abusive yes, yes, too. Yes. And I think this is Nasty. it. We need to keep on calling what is abuse and what is not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, a friend who only calls you when you're not okay, because then she would feel. Because she okay. feels better that, yeah. You know, and yeah. when you're okay, then she lets you go. You know, that is abusive, you know, and, and we need to go. And, and sometimes it's even more subtle then because it's yes. a... It's a female, there's the bonding, there's the friendship, and it becomes... Yes, you think, you think that because it's another female. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I, I, I feel today my energy is very low uh, in general, first of all, because of the topic we're, we're talking about, and, mm -hmm. and also because this weekend a friend of mine was involved in, 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 in an abusive uh, situation, and... Um, so obviously, as her friends, we saw this abusive situation coming because we can see because when you're on the outside and you genuinely love a person, you know, and that person is inside the relationship and in love and whatever, and always forgiving him and whatever you can see, you know, and 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 last last weekend, um, they, they had had the situation and I was telling our group of friends, we were a very close knit group of friends. And I said, you know, he, he's going to be one of these like Bernice, he's going to kill her. He will kill her. The next time something like this happens, he will kill her. And then afterwards, he's going to be very sorry. And so this weekend, then we had that kind of situation where luckily she managed to fight away and whatever. And uh, somebody went to help her. And, and so she managed to survive because she blacked out a couple of times, you know, because first he was trying to strangle her and then he was trying to put the pillow over her face. And somehow or other, I mean, and she, she said, she said, I could feel myself blacking out and coming back and whatever. So... I mean, her body is full of bruises and and she is the 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 person you would expect the least. She is a very high power, has a very high powered job. She's super clever. She's she's yes, yes, she just yes. I mean, when you look at her, you think this happened to you, mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. you know, abuse does not discriminate. No. Yes. And he is just a total control freak over. He was just a total. Anyway, so. Anyway, so this um, situation happened. Obviously, it happened in the evening. So by the time she actually managed to fall asleep, it was three in the morning. Then we got up and uh, then she told us what had happened because obviously it was going on through the night. So we didn't know. La, la, la. And then um, uh, we met up. And by the time we talked to her and, you know, said, listen, you, you, you have to go to the police. You have to go. No, I don't want to report him and I don't want to get him into trouble. La, 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 la. So this all takes time. So it was about maybe four o'clock, five o'clock by the time we went down to the police Which station. Just to, to, to stab in there as well. That That's a natural and normal reaction for anybody yes, who's yes. in an abuse right? relationship to right. not 
want und to cause problems for their partner. That's it. That, that shouldn't, for no way, shape or form, should anyone be criticised for any reaction to abuse. Of course. Mm -hmm. So we went down to the police station at four o'clock or four, whatever time it was, four, four thirty. And um, we waited there for 20 minutes to get seen to because obviously the police don't have any urgency to see the people. Anyway, and this policewoman comes out to the door and she tells me, she tells me, can I help you? Because I had gone in before to say, listen, what do we do? Do we, do we take a ticket? Like, do we wait? Do we wait for you to call? Do we come in? What? You know, and they said, oh, Jubaira, stay there. So we'll call you. So, okay. We went outside and this woman comes out and so she addressed me and she said, uh, so, you know, like, what do you have? Can I help you? And I said, you know, this is my friend and she was attacked last night by her ex-boyfriend. Ah, last night. What took you so long to come? What took you so long to come? Why didn't you come before, she said then. She followed, so what took you so long to come? Why didn't you come before? And my friend, who had just stopped crying, I mean, the t and when this policewoman went back in again, she said, you see, she said, it's like, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong, it's me, yeah, it's me. And I said, no, and that was the reason why I didn't let her go down on her own. This is the reason why I went, because I said, I said, it hasn't been long, you know, it happened during the night. She had to get over it. I said, it, ta it has taken a lot of courage for her to come here. This isn't long. Three o'clock in the morning, the whole thing was over. We're here at four o'clock. This is long. You did something there that I want to address because I think there's, as we sort of head towards this particular podcast, and we will be talking about this again, I think it's so incredibly important. I want to give these ladies a chance in the moment to speak to somebody who's in that situation and what they should be doing, someone who's in the abusive situation. But you, Sue, just addressed a really important there, point there that I also wanted to cover. If you have a loved one, a friend, or a member of the family who is in an abusive relationship, what do you do? I know that for me, when I was in a relationship with my narcissist, it, it was a friend of mine who planted the seed and said, you deserve better. Mm -hmm. They planted that seed and then I waited for the the the, the huge ending that as it as often happens. But also I I told a friend of mine <clears throat> who was in an abusive relationship, I told her, my oldest friend who I've known since the day I was born, I had to say to her, listen, I've just found out that your your fiance is screwing around behind your back. Now, in that instance, she then chose him and not me. Would I change it? Never. No, no, no. no, no. Because eventually, eight years later, she, she found back. out she had an STD. She didn't believe me. She got an STD, only one place it could have come from. And we have now a stronger friendship for it. And I would never, ever step away from saying something yeah. that needs to be said. And I think we as family members, as friends, often do. I know when I separated from my ex-husband, my abusive, my family all said, well, we didn't think it was going to last and we didn't think he was the right one for you. And I said to them, Why you don't you get to me? say that. You don't get to say that. If you didn't say it to me at the time, don't think you can say it now because what all you're doing is telling me that you didn't have the balls to stand up and support me. Mm -hmm. So as friends, what do we do? If you see someone in an abusive relationship, you, you Sue, just beautifully illustrated, you go with them, you fight them for them, you, you fend off 
the, the insensitive police officer or what has to be done. But when do we speak up? When do we not speak up? When should we say something? You have, to, you have to be so careful because like this friend of mine, she was three years with him, mm -hmm. two, two or three years. So um, after the first few months, we could all see it and we all told her. But she wasn't going. She wasn't having it, you know. So she wasn't so ready. You, as a, you, you it tell and trendy. oh, because you know, I said love him and because mm -hmm. this and because I can fix him and blah, 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 blah. so, you know, you have to um, um, be very accepting of the situation. You know, if, if she's if, for me, the way I saw it, she's my friend. She is going through this phase. It will pass, but until it passes. I'm not. Going to be there I'm going to her. support her. You know what yes, I mean? And, and, and I'm going to be there. Mm -hmm. And then. It, the day will come, like last weekend, it wasn't the day. Last weekend, she carried it on and she made up and whatever, you know. She gave him the other chance. But this weekend, it was the day. Mm -hmm. And this weekend, last weekend, I was there. We were all there as a group. And this weekend, we were all there as well. And if she decides to go back to him tomorrow and next weekend, we're there, we'll be there as well. Yes. And we won't give up. And that's friendship. And that's friendship. And, and that's we don't supportive. make her feel guilty. And I told her, if you go back to him, don't feel guilty. Just tell us so that we know and we're here. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. We're not judging you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. This can take a long time. But we are there. And I think that's what I learned in therapy. I've learned that even in therapy, it's not a case that a person would come in and kind of immediately, you know, take decisions for herself or himself. Mm -hmm. But there needs to be a process. I need, need to be with them. Until there will be the day when, yes, you know, that switch kind of lights up and they will say... But you can't push uh, them. No, you no. can't. And Absolutely. you can't abandon no. them. No. And it's you can't say, listen, if you don't leave, if then, you don't leave him, I'm, that's it. I'm then, not going to be then, your friend anymore. Then we'll be abusive. Exactly, if you do that. If, even if it's a friend or in therapy or whatever, if we see something and we speak about it, but the person is not ready yet... And we say, oh, no, then I will leave because you don't. Then we're becoming abusive Versus. towards that person. <laughs> so basically, whether it is in therapy, whether it is in friendship, but sometimes in therapy we see things we would know. This relationship will never, ever, ever survive. But some people take them 19 years, 19 years, 20, 30, 40 years. And sometimes more. And sometimes they die mm -hmm. in, the relationship. in that relationship. So basically, and we respect that too. We respect that too. It's their choice. But if they are seeking help, what we need to recognize, the difference is that it's a process and we respect the process that the person is in. So if the person is aware but not yet ready to take any action, we respect that. Whether you're a therapist, whether you're a friend, whether you're a family member, you never abandon them. Whether and you're it's a not victim easy. yourself. And it's not easy because no, as well. because you can become. Because, because you, be you are, you are, are, but you are afraid protected. too. Because like I had another friend as well whose husband was also nuts. And who, and so, you know, and I always used to tell her if anything happens, you call me and I come. Mm -hmm. And of course you call, you come. And and then you are also putting yourself in danger too. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. You need courage too. Ladies, this has been such an important and incredible conversation and I'm so glad that we've done it. I want to conclude by just saying that there is life after trauma. There's life after yes. damaging relationships. There's life, life to the full 
after having experienced whatever abuse, physical, emotional, mental, any kind of abuse, there is life after it. And I want to, uh, we've empowered women by recognizing that abusive situation. We've talked about our own personal stories. We've talked about how to approach that as a therapist as well. But I want to give, ask you ladies to give an empowering final word to anybody who finds themselves in an abusive situation right now. They don't know how, I mean, this is it. You don't know how to get out of it. You're trapped in it. Everything looks really, really scary. We know as women who've stepped out of that, that the hardest part of that is to acknowledge and say, I'm done. And everything after that is actually heading in the right direction. And you accelerate as you move out of that negative situation, your power in it accelerates until you become somebody you just never thought you could be. <laughs> but give a word of encouragement and a, and a word of guidance, starting with you, Roberta, to someone in that situation. I think the words I would use is, I deserve better. I think those are the words that need to be constantly played out. Write it in your mobile, write it somewhere where you can always see it, you know. I deserve better. And I think the more you say that to yourself, the more you start to recognize that no, this is not about you not being good enough. This is about somebody throwing at you. And again, try to play tennis, you know, try to remember that this is not about you probably. And most often because around you, there are people who will tell you that you're good enough. You know, you need to listen to them too, not just to that person and start to say to yourself, I deserve better. And that is what has made a lot of people move ahead. You know, I deserve better. Mm -hmm. And keep on saying it to yourself over and over again. I deserve better. And adding to what Roberta is saying, I can recreate myself. Mm -hmm. This is an identity that I can let go of and recreate myself. Many women have done it before me, and I, or men for that matters, because there are relationships where men are abused, and I can recreate myself. So basically, look around. You are loved. There are friends and family. First and foremost, find yourself support. The people that are around you, that love you, will support you. And it's okay. It doesn't matter which stage you are, because we were speaking about process earlier on. There are people that will support you and help you, even if you don't go for therapy immediately, which we suggest because this is where you will find your resources. But I can recreate myself starting from now with the people around me, with the resources that I have now. Sue, is there life after trauma? There is, but there's also a period of mourning for that uh, relationship. Um, there's also a period of depression after you leave and guilt and sadness and heartbreak and and um, conflict in your head because you're out of it you've made that final decision but yet you still miss it or whatever it is so you know you have to allow yourself the time give yourself the time and it's okay it's okay to miss it it's okay to mourn it it's okay to be depressed it's okay it's okay it's normal it's 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 part of the process, you know, but it will pass. It will pass. And one day you wake up and all of a sudden the cloud lifts. And one day you wake up and you you miss him less. And tomorrow you miss him even less. And, you know, it's a process. You don't, you're not going to walk out of that relationship and be fine the next day. No. It's, it takes time. It mm. takes time. I mean, a lot of the therapy I went to years ago comes 
comes back to mind years later and has effect on me years later. It doesn't, it's not instant. It takes time and it's okay. And if the people around you aren't supporting you and aren't helping you and not making you feel guilty, then change the friends. Mm -hmm. Don't let another six years pass. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I want to say a huge thank you to you ladies. I want to say thank you to you ladies for your wisdom and your own stories. And also, Sue, I love you. <laughs> and I also want to say to anybody that's watching this, we will provide contact details for anybody that's been touched by this. Do not, please do not give up. There is life after trauma. There's life after abuse. There's a glorious, glorious life out there. And as Sue said, it's going to take a journey. But you have everything inside of you to get there. We'll provide those details for you and we'll be back very soon with another She Word. <laughs>